0: All right, good morning. That was a rousing response. <laughs> good morning. Good to be with you this morning. Uh, my name is Bryce. I'm the pastor here at Resurrection OC. And uh, if you have a Bible, let me encourage you to turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Uh, we are continuing this morning our series, uh, Called Out. And this is a series where, really as a church, we're kind of in this, is this phase of our, of our life as a new-ish church, where we're looking to see uh, what God has in store for us as we walk into the future together. And so we're doing this series, Called Out, which is really the uh, English translation of the word ekklesia, the, the word church in the New Testament, uh, where we're seeking to, to see what does God say about the nature of the church in his word? What does it mean to be a healthy and fruitful church? And so over the past couple of weeks, if you've been with us, we've looked at uh, the church is the son confessing church, that Jesus is the hero uh, of the church, that he is our uh, he is the senior pastor of our church, and uh, he is the one who loves us and leads us. Uh, and then we've also looked at uh, the church as the scripture-keeping church. We're not making this up ourselves, but we are uh, following God as he has revealed himself to us in his word, and this morning we are going to look... At uh, what it means to be the spirit filled church, uh, what is the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church? so let me invite you to stand with me as we give our attention to god 's word i 'm going to read Acts chapter two uh, the first uh, about thirteen verses. This passage describes the, uh, the the life of the early church on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came uh, amongst the believers. Let's listen to God's word together. It says this, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they, the believers, were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene. And visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues, in our own languages, the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. This is God's word. Let's, let's pray together. Oh, Father, would you speak to us this morning? Would you make Jesus more real to us by your ancient word through the power of the Holy Spirit? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated, please. In the late 1700s, The empress of Russia was Catherine the Great. And through the reign of Catherine the Great, Russia uh, expanded its borders, enlarged its territory, added new land uh, to their empire. And so Catherine the Great, having just fought and won a war, wanted to go and uh, observe this new part of her her domain, her empire um, in the south of Russia. And so she asked one of her generals, Grigory Potemkin, to uh, arrange this tour, to to, uh, go observe this new part of her her empire. And uh, Potemkin really wanted to impress her. Historians think that they were actually having an affair. And so he really wanted this to go off well, apparently. Uh, The problem was that this area of about a thousand miles that they were gonna tour, Um, They had just acquired it through a war, and so the the area had been devastated by war. Uh, It was really poor, Uh, it just wasn't gonna look very good, and and Potemkin really wanted to impress Catherine the Great. And so what he did was he created fake villages, and he hired happy peasants. And Catherine did a lot of the trip by a a boat down a river, and kind of like on this barge, and what would happen is she would would come in, uh, and get off the boat, and go, look at this village that was, it looked great and it was filled with happy, smiling, waving peasants. And then she would go back to get on the boat and I, you know, her entourage, they would probably feast all night. And the peasants would, uh, would tear down the village and run down river and set it up again. And the next morning she would take the boat down to the next village and get off and the same happy peasants would smile and wave and you know, shout their greetings to their, uh, their queen. And, uh, and it just happened over and over again. And so it looked like this whole section of Russia was filled with life, but it was a sham. It looked like it was vibrant, it looked like it was thriving, it looked like it was alive, but it was all a lie. And so interestingly, I learned this this week that a term has come into our vocabulary called a Potemkin village, after Gregory Potemkin. And it refers to, uh, and you can Google this, and Wikipedia will verify this, so it must be true, right? (laughs) Um, A Potemkin village refers to anything that is built solely to deceive others into thinking that a situation is better than it really is. It's an attempt to make something look vibrant and alive when the reality is very different. Friends, I wonder this morning if we live in a Potemkin village. Uh, If we live in a place where uh, we have the appearance of life and there are so many ways to enjoy the good life in Southern California. And yet, how often are we willing to settle for the appearance of life instead of the substance of life? This morning, we are looking at the Holy Spirit and the, Holy, the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church. And what I want you to hear this morning is this, that it is the Holy Spirit's job to bring you life. It is the Holy Spirit's job to bring life. If you go back to the very first chapter of the Bible in, in, uh, in Genesis chapter one, it says that uh, the earth was without form and void and darkness hovered over the face of the deep. Uh, what it's saying is that all that existed was like a vast, black, dark, chaotic nothingness. And over it, the Spirit of God uh, hovered and, uh, and, and teeming with with potential and life. Uh, God says, let there be light, and the Holy Spirit brings life into existence. The Holy Spirit brings life out of nothing. Now I know that in the church, and even, even beyond kind of the, the borders of you know, the church, there's a lot of confusion about who is the Holy Spirit, and what exactly does uh, he do? And uh, I think some of us, if we're honest, are kind of wanting or hoping for, like, some justification for, you know, the Holy Spirit does crazy stuff, right? I mean, we hear rumors of this, uh, and it'd be great to, to experience something crazy. <laughs> and others of us are going, whoa, hold on. We've said Holy Spirit way too many times already in the service this morning. Um, you know, this is a Presbyterian church. This is a Christian church. And the part of the Christian family that we live in is the Presbyterian tradition, and and you know Presbyterians uh, we believe that the uh, the Holy Trinity is made up of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Bible, and uh, we you know typically are are the sorts of Christians that get really uncomfortable when somebody starts talking about the Holy Spirit. Um, We don't like things to uh, get out of control. We don't, uh, you know, if anybody raises their hand in worship, it's never above the waist, right? (laughs) Uh, The men don't sing in church, you know, that's just like, that's just our reality, (laughs) right? And so um, even talking about the Holy Spirit gives some of us anxiety, whether by theological conviction or like temperament, personality. And so today I'm not going to answer every question about the Holy Spirit. I'm probably going to say just enough to, uh, you know, leave us all mildly dissatisfied. Uh, there's no one passage in the Bible that really um, kind of gives an overview of who is the Holy Spirit and, and what does he do. Uh, but what I'm going to try to do is, is reference a handful of passages uh, in this kind of overview about the Holy Spirit because there's a lot of confusion and there's a lot of misconceptions and there's some bad mistakes. And um, And so often... I feel like when when, uh, we talk about the Holy Spirit, what we tend to do is we talk about what He isn't, uh, what He doesn't do. But I want to give you a positive look at what the Holy Spirit, uh, who the Holy Spirit is and what He does. When the church in the early centuries, kind of after the close of the New Testament, began to wrestle with questions of, of what is the nature of Jesus? Is He God or is He man? Um, um, and, And other important questions. Uh, the church kind of through debate and error and argumentation and truth uh, summarized the teaching of the Bible in the creeds. And so when the church sat down to summarize what does the New Testament teach, what does the Bible as a whole teach about the person of the Holy Spirit, the Nicene Creed said this, we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and the giver of life. And we actually sang that earlier this morning. The Holy Spirit is the Lord, and he is the giver of life. I think that's a pretty good summary of what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the Lord. The Holy Spirit is a person. He is the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is not an it or a thing. The Holy Spirit is not the force. The Holy Spirit is a a person. Uh, He's God. He's in charge. He does what he wants. Uh, The Holy Spirit, because he is God, does not answer to us, and is unfathomable to us. The Holy Spirit, in the words of you two, moves in a mysterious way. Uh, we believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe that he is the Lord. He is, the, he is a person. He's God. He is not subject to our understanding or control. And so if you are a person who is Presbyterian by um, personality this morning, let me just say this before we really dive into this. It's going to be OK. Actually, what I was gonna say for Sam Pepke is, it's all right, it's all right, it's all right. The spirit moves in a mysterious way. Some of you are gonna get that later this afternoon. You can ask Sam to uh, explain it to you. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and the giver of life. Okay, he is a person. So the first thing really just, I wanna make this very simple today. So two points, the Holy Spirit brings life. The Holy Spirit brings life. That's the first thing I want you to see. There's nothing that we want more than to feel alive. And I think this is so incredibly important because we live in a time that is saying increasingly, we don't need Christianity. We don't need the church. Even many Christians are starting to ask the question, do we need the church? Do we need Christianity? Do we need the gospel? Um, We live in a beautiful place at a beautiful time. Uh, We live in a place where... You know, you could go right now to Lola's Cafe and get a really good cup of coffee for $4. You could, uh, you could go up to Lola's right now and you will see Ladera Soccer Moms in Lululemon sipping mimosas and everybody is beautiful and content and everything looks amazing, right? Um, do we really need the church? Do we really need the Holy Spirit? I mean, yes, I understand that you're very nice people. You believe these things about God that you think are important, and more power to you, I guess. But does it really matter? And friends, the truth is that while we live in a beautiful place where you can drink great coffee, you can wear beautiful clothes, you can drive nice cars, that uh, anxiety, depression, loneliness are uh, showing the cracks in the foundation of our culture at an unprecedented rate. Next Saturday, there is a Memorial 5K. To remember a what 7th grader, I think, who committed suicide at Ladera Ranch Middle School a couple years ago. It's tragic. It's tragic. Do we really need any of this? You know, we think that we don't. Uh, we think that there are so many ways that we can find life. Uh, because there are so many options available to us. I mean, think about the many, many, many ways, the the many things you can do to go and try to find life. Um, You can try to feel more alive by adopting a new workout routine. You know, you can go to the gym and uh, you can do yoga. You can do hot yoga. You can do CrossFit. You can do Zumba. There's always a new one coming out, you know. You remember when like Taibo, when that was a thing? I don't think anybody's doing Taibo anymore, but like there's gonna be a beach body, like there's these DVDs, you can do them with people, you can do them alone. You you can do anything you want to to work out to make you feel more alive. You can uh, get a new diet. You know, you can do like a juice fast. You can do paleo, keto, like everybody's all about keto now, right? I'm on a very strict diet. I only eat things that taste good. Um, But you can get a new diet and it'll, you know, to make you feel more alive. Um, You can get a new haircut. You could just go get a new haircut. Like, ladies, you could get your bangs trimmed, right? And it'll just make you feel alive. It'll be like a whole new you. You come to work the next day or whatever, and your friends will be like, wow, you look like a new person. Um, There are so many... Oh, I was supposed to say something about the Eagles. So we can live vicariously through sports teams. And I did this all day yesterday. All three of my kids who had soccer games won. I'm like, yes, I'm alive, I'm alive. Best sports day ever. Um, You can get a new job or a new house or go on vacation. There is a never ending list of things to try, things to do in order to feel alive. Uh, There are these kind of um, things, they're not necessarily bad, but, but they don't last, do they? But there's these kind of like, you know, in different, not necessarily religious things that you can do to look for life. Uh, you can look for life in really irreligious, rebellious ways. You can, you can push God away. Um, you, know, you, could, you, could, uh, you could leave your family, you could leave your spouse. Um, there are also really religious ways to look for new life. You could find a new church, you can find a new religion uh, through you know, ritual and guilt. You can try to make yourself feel more alive. There's a never-ending list of things that we can do to try to feel like we are alive. And here's the thing, they will all work for a time. Almost anything will make you feel more alive for a short period of time. But friends, the problem is that all of these things are attempts to change something external in the hope that it will make us feel new on the inside. These are all things, these are all ways that we uh, try to give ourselves lives, and it won't work, it won't work, because I cannot be the source of my own life, you cannot be the source of your own life. It's like taking, you know, in a few, like a month, many of us are going to do that, we're going to get a box down from the garage, and we're going to get out the Christmas lights and we're gonna replace all the broken bulbs and then you're gonna take one end of the Christmas, the strand of Christmas lights, and the others into that same strand and you're gonna plug it into itself, right? And what's gonna happen is nothing and that's what we're trying to do. When we're trying to say there is something that I can do that will give me life, there's no power in that system. Friends, the Bible says that apart from Jesus we are dead. You know, we may be physically alive, but we are spiritually dead. We're like zombies. We are, the, we are the walking dead. Inside, we're dead. And somehow we think that, you know, even though I'm a zombie, if I get a new haircut, I'll feel alive. Or if I get a new car, it'll make me feel more alive. And for just a couple days or a couple of weeks, it does, but then we need something else. And so, friends, I've got good news for you today. The Holy Spirit brings life. The Holy Spirit brings life. The Holy Spirit is God. He's the third person of the Trinity. And he has come to bring you life. When God created the first humans, uh, it says in Genesis 2 that God formed Adam out of the dust of the earth. And there was like like a lifeless body lying there on the ground. And then the Spirit of God came and breathed into Adam's nostrils. And he came alive. He breathed life into him. And in the same way, after his resurrection in John chapter 20, you know, one of the first things that Jesus does is he appears to his disciples and it says he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. I mean, can you imagine this morning if you came into church and I said, I'm just going to breathe on you. Like this is what Jesus does. He says, I'm going to breathe on you. Uh, and as he breathes on his followers, he says, receive the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit comes upon them. In Romans chapter eight, Paul explains it like this. He says, this is, this is profound. Romans eight eleven. if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwell, dwells in you, and the implication is that he does dwell in you, that means that he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Do you see what he's saying? The Holy Spirit, who is the force that brought Jesus up from the grave, is now at work within you if you are in Christ. That same power, the power that raised Jesus from the dead, is in you to bring you life. What that means is that a Christian isn't just a person who believes certain things about God and lives a kind of certain set of morals in their life. A Christian uh, is a person who has the life of God in him or in her a Christian is a person who is tapped into, like, an external power supply. A Christian is a person who is connected to a source of life beyond and bigger than himself or herself. Now, that is amazing, right, the idea that we've, we've, we've tapped into this external power supply. That is incredible, but that's actually not what the Bible is saying. It says something even more incredible. Um, you know think about that, that metaphor again of like that strand of Christmas lights. what the bible is 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 saying is it 's like you 've taken that one end of the Christmas lights and you 've plugged it into a power supply but it's actually the bible 's actually saying something more than that it 's not just that you 've tapped into an external source of power, but that that source of power is actually alive now within you within us um, isn 't that <laughs> Isn't that incredible? The power, the vitality of God that that created the universe, that raised Jesus from the dead is now inside of you. One of the ways that the New Testament talks about Christians, one of the ways that the Bible talks about, uh, like refers to believers, is that we're filled with the Holy Spirit. We are not just connected to the Holy Spirit, but we are filled with the Holy Spirit. We read this earlier in, uh, in Acts chapter 2. You see it several other places uh, in the New Testament as well, that Christians are people who are filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I know that um, one of the questions about the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives is kind of around that idea of being filled with the Holy Spirit, and for Um, Maybe the last 150 years or so in Christianity, there has been in some circles uh, this idea that you can be a Christian and not be filled with the Holy Spirit. That those are two different things. And friends, what I want you to hear is that the Bible clearly teaches uh, in the book of Acts, throughout the book of Acts, in 1 Corinthians 12, even in John 3, what it says is this, that we are filled with the Holy Spirit through faith in Christ immediately when we come to put our faith in Jesus. Uh, There there is no biblical category for a person who is a Christian who is not filled with the Holy Spirit. There's no biblical category for a Christian who is like partially experiencing the Holy Spirit. Uh, To be a Christian is to be full of the Holy Spirit. The moment you believe the third person of the Trinity is alive within you, giving you life, and making you more like Jesus. This is true for every Christian. But the Bible, uh, the Bible says that, but it also says this. It says, okay, so it says first of all, that you are filled with the Holy Spirit if you're in Christ. But then it, it also goes on to say something a little bit different. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, Paul says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. So there's the kind of indicative Just stating what's true, you are filled with the Holy Spirit if you're in Christ. But then in Ephesians 5, there's this imperative, uh, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the verb tense that's used there is describing a a continuous activity. It's saying um, continually be filled with the Holy Spirit. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit continually. And so uh, it's an imperative, it's a command that's given to believers Um, And and I think what what it's saying is this. You are objectively filled with the Holy Spirit. But you need to be continually, experientially filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, The the way I was thinking about it this week as as I was wrestling with these passages is this. Um, Sometimes there's this phenomenon that happens in our house where uh, we're cooking dinner. And as we're cooking dinner, one of our kids comes into the kitchen and says, I'm starving! I need to have something to eat now! And we're like, dinner is going to be on the table in four minutes. And they're like, I can't wait, I need to have some snacks first. And, you know, what do we say? We say, there is no reason to fill yourself on snacks when there is about to be a proper meal on the table before you. And so the call to be filled uh, with the Holy Spirit's When Paul says, be filled with the Holy Spirit, he's saying, don't fool yourself uh, by filling yourself up with a new diet or a new job or a new workout routine. You know, those are good things, but they cannot bring you life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. So what does that look like? How do we do that? Well, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, the ways that we are experientially filled with the Holy Spirit, it means that we pay attention to the means of grace. Uh, it means that we read the Bible and we pray. It means that we make it a priority to worship together as a church with God's people. It means that we, we, we pay attention to the sacraments. It means that we live our lives on mission and service to our neighbors. It means that we don't grieve the Holy Spirit. You know, there's the, there's the, the Bible talks about, uh, there's this command, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not make the Holy Spirit sad um, by sinning. <laughs> Really, don't do things that make God sad. It means that we keep in step with the Holy Spirit, the phrase that Paul uses in Galatians 5.25. Keep in step with the Holy Spirit. It means that we live our days. um, We don't live our days with this idea that we live in like a mechanistic universe where God is not present. But we live our days, day in and day out, aware that we live in the presence of God and we need to be attentive to what the Spirit may be doing in us. Friends, God's spirit is in you. If you are in Christ, then he is in you. And one of the most important ways that the Holy Spirit brings you life is simply by helping you to experience the love of God, Uh, helping you to experience the arms, metaphorically, the arms of God embracing you, helping you to know that you are loved by God. One of the worst moments that happens in our house you know, is, uh, is, the, is the first part of the day. <laughs> My wife and I have four kids. They all have to get dressed and go to school five days a week, and it's horrible. <laughs> and so one of the first things that I do every morning is get up and try to get four kids out of bed. And often what happens is I'm in you know, my, one of my kids' bedrooms and they're lying in bed with their eyes closed and I'm like, son, you have to get up. You have to be downstairs for breakfast. You have to do this. You have to be there in five minutes. And with eyes closed, lying in bed, haven't opened my eyes yet, You know, the voice screaming back at me is like, I know, dad, I know. <laughs> and it's so frustrating. But last week I had this moment of like, I had this epiphany as I'm trying to get one of my kids out of bed. This kid is like, it, it doesn't really even matter which one it is, it could be any of them at any given day. One of my kids is yelling at me, I know, dad, I know. And I grabbed him by the feet and I pulled him across the bed and he begins to giggle. And I begin to tickle him and he, and he starts laughing and I start singing this silly made up song to him. And he's laughing with me and he's laughing at me and we're just having a good time. And what, it, what, it, what occurred to me is this. Okay, here's the question. Is he any more my son when he's laughing with me than when he's yelling at me? Not really, right? I mean, he is objectively my son, whether he is getting out of bed and obeying me or not. And yet he feels more like my son when I grab him, when I hug him, when we laugh together. And you know, when he's laughing and he feels more like my child, it's actually easier for him to get up and get dressed and obey. And the same thing is true for us. If you are a Christian, then the love of God is always with you. But the Holy Spirit inside you helps you feel God's love. Helps you, helps you know not just that God loves sinners, but that God loves me. You know, one of my favorite moments is after church when somebody will come up to me and, and, and tell me something that and God impressed upon them through the sermon. And, and often they're saying, wow, this was great. Thank you for saying this. And what I'm thinking inside is, I didn't actually say that. <laughs> but the Holy Spirit at work within you is applying the truth of God's word to you in unique ways because God loves you. He loves you and He is for you. And He wants you to know that you are loved. He's making you more like Jesus. The Holy Spirit brings life. Okay, that's the first point. But what does that mean for us? What does that mean for us, uh, not just individually, but as a church? Resurrection of sea, what does that mean for us? Well, the second thing that I want you to see this morning is this, that the church is the temple of the Holy Spirit. The church is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Uh, if you grew up, like I did, in a kind of a Christian environment, then you might be used to hearing the phrase the, the temple of the Holy Spirit, primarily in relation to um, kind of modesty or, or sexual purity. And, and there's no doubt that the Holy, the temp, uh, when, when the Bible says that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, it, it applies to us in those ways. There's no doubt about that. But the thing that uh, I think misses us a lot of the time is, is this: that both times the phrase "temple of the Holy Spirit" is used in the New Testament in First and Second Corinthians, uh, it, it's referring to the plural. It's it's it, the U is plural. First Corinthians three sixteen says, "Do you not know that y'all are God's temple, and that God's Spirit dwells in?" Y'all, I guess I don't know if that's how you use y'all, but <laughs> it's 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 you plural. It's you guys. Second um, Corinthians six sixteen is even clearer. Paul says, "For we are the temple of the living God." And what that means for us is that it's not simply individual Christians who have the Holy Spirit inside of us, but it's the Church of Jesus that is filled with the Holy Spirit that God wants to use as a life giving force in our worlds. Uh, the first and second Corinthians. Uh, is letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in Corinth. And the city of Corinth, um, I mean, the ruins are still standing. Maybe some of you have been there. But um, Corinth as a city was notorious for having this like highly sexualized, salacious uh, culture. And the city of Corinth was dominated by the temple to Aphrodite. And Uh, The temple looked beautiful on the outside, and it was this magnificent structure, and it looked incredible, and surely if you lived in Corinth, you would have thought, this building is is incredible, and and whatever's going on inside of there must be uh, be amazing. It must be a way to, to feel truly alive. And you would go into this beautiful facade of a temple, and inside there is a statue of a woman with 20 breasts, and this is supposed to be your God like I'm I'm not even making that up. Uh, it's a rock. It's inanimate. It's an inanimate object and we, you know, in the 21st century look at that and say of course, who would, who would work? Who would worship an inanimate object? And yet friends, all day long we're looking for life in inanimate objects, things that cannot satisfy. And so what Paul is doing when he talks about the temple of the Holy Spirit Uh, He's taken this idea of the temple in in Corinth and he's turning it upside down. And he's saying that in our lives we see these impressive facades that on the exterior they look amazing and so we would assume that there's something life-giving inside and yet when you go inside, it's dead. And what he's saying is that the church is the exact opposite. Externally, I mean let's be honest, like it may not look that impressive. We may not look that impressive as a church, and yet on the inside we have life. God's spirit is alive within us. God's spirit gives life. There's this great passage in the Old Testament. Um, Actually, Trevor referenced this in his prayer in uh, Ezekiel chapter 37. This is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. And what happens in Ezekiel chapter 37 is God uh, picks up Ezekiel and he brings him to this valley. And Ezekiel looks out and he sees a valley of dry bones. And, uh, and the Holy Spirit says to Ezekiel, he says, uh, Ezekiel, uh, can these bones live? And Ezekiel says, oh Lord, you know, which is kind of like Ezekiel saying like, ah. And the Holy Spirit says to Ezekiel, he says, preach to the bones. And Ezekiel begins to preach the word of God to the bones and he hears a rattling as the bones begin to come back together and it says that that they begin to, it's like sinews begin to form and the bones are being shaped back together. And so now Ezekiel is standing in in a valley of skeletons and he's preaching to these skeletons. And then the Holy Spirit says, pray for the wind. Pray for the wind. And uh, and what you have to understand, call for the breath, um, what what you have to understand is that the word for breath or wind is the same as the word spirit in Hebrew. So Ezekiel is preaching to an army of skeletons and the Holy Spirit says, pray for the breath. And Ezekiel begins to call for the wind and the wind comes from the four corners of the earth and fills, fle- th- these bones take on flesh and um, <laughs> and come to life. And God says, I will put my spirit within you and you shall live and then you shall know that I am the Lord, that I have spoken and I will do it, declares the Lord. This is a passage that every pastor loves to preach on. Because the question I have for you, friends, is this, do we have the sense when we're talking about the church that this is exactly what God is doing today? Like We talk about going to church and like we're like, ah, I'm going to be out of town, maybe I won't be at church this week. And the, like, going to church is like secondary to, to what God is doing as he is building this church. The, our church and other churches, and the church universal. But think about what God has done in the last you know, four years or so in the life of Resurrection O.C. God called a preacher of questionable competence, that's me, to preach uh, to a bunch of dry bones, (laughs) that's you, and then God is saying, pray for the wind. Pray that the Holy Spirit would come. And bring us to life and that he might renew us and that we might be alive, not just for our sake, but this for the sake of our community and our neighbors and our places of work. What might God want to do through us in South Orange County? You know, I was thinking um, this week about the name of our church. It's funny. uh, Resurrection. I say it so many times that I've kind of stopped thinking about what it means. And yet a couple weeks ago in our our, our welcome lunch, Carla Reed was telling the story of how uh, we kind of came to the name Resurrection. Why did we name this church Resurrection? And I I kind of had just stopped thinking about this. But uh, Carla said, um, she said, if God can raise Jesus from the dead, maybe he can plant a new church in Orange County. That's litotes, dramatic understatement, my favorite form of humor. <laughs> but think about what is, what is a resurrection. It means that there is something that is dead, not sick, not unhealthy, not you know, yet to be realized. It's something that is dead, and the Spirit of God moves, and then it's alive again. Not limping along, but it's alive again. Resurrection means that something has died, and yet God has brought it back to life. So might God want to use us, Resurrection of Sea? Might God want to call people who live in this Potemkin village of, of South Orange County? And might he call somebody crazy enough to stand up and just explain God's word to people who are dying or dead? And might we all begin to pray together, Holy Spirit, would you move in this place? And might God bring us to life and renew us and then send us out into this place to be an agent of life for our friends, for our neighbors, for our families, for our co-workers. Might He put us here and tell us to preach to the bones and pray for the Spirit so that He might move in us and through us. Friends, a healthy church isn't A church that has a big building or lots of people, it could be, but having a big building or lots of people does not mean a church is healthy. A healthy church is a church that is filled with the Spirit of God. A healthy church is filled with the Holy Spirit. We are a new people. Uh, By the power of the Holy Spirit, Peter says in 1 Peter, there is now a church in a place where there wasn't a church before because the Holy Spirit is alive in us. We have a new perspective because of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has called us out of darkness, and the light of Christ has dawned upon us. And so we don't just see Christ for who he is, but we see all things with the light that he has brought, that he has shown in our lives. We walk in a new power. Acts 1.8, uh, Jesus says to the church, do not leave Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And as soon as the Holy Spirit comes, they can no longer remain in Jerusalem. They have to leave and scatter to the ends of the earth. They have to take the Holy Spirit to those who haven't yet met him. So Resurrection OC, we should be praying for God to use us. We should be praying that, that our friends who don't yet know Jesus would come to know him. We should be living lives of repentance We should not just believe, but we should actually be acting out the reality that repentance isn't just how we become Christians, but it's how we live the entire Christian life that we are constantly being renewed by God's Spirit. This means that we should sing. I know that for some of you men especially, it feels weird to sing. I get that, I get that. Um, But we should be joyful. You couldn't stop us from singing if the Holy Spirit is real. And we should be bold. You know, one of the things that uh, the New Testament does a lot is it. Is it t- whenever um, there's an experience where somebody is filled with the Holy Spirit, somebody says they must be drunk. It's always comparing being filled with the Holy Spirit to being drunk. Why is that? Well, it's because there is a boldness that comes with, um, there's a boldness and a joy that comes with being filled with the Holy Spirit. Alcohol makes you bold because it depresses your, you know, or, or awareness of reality so you do things that you would otherwise be embarrassed to do. Uh, The Holy Spirit makes you bold by heightening your awareness of reality so that you then do what only God could do. We should be seeing the evidence of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. We should be becoming more and more like Jesus. So let me come back to this question that I asked earlier. Do we really need this Do we really need the church? Do we really need the gospel? Do we really need the Holy Spirit in our lives? You know, it's 2019, we live in a pretty amazing place. You can go to Lola's and find beautiful people sipping mimosas. You can go to uh, Docent and have a great craft beer. You could go to Portola coffee and drink coffee with a bunch of hipsters wearing raw denim and Warby Parker sunglasses. You can go anywhere. And people are like, yes, we are winning at life. And everything looks amazing, and nobody thinks that they need the gospel. And yet the cracks are beginning to show in the foundation. These people who work for hip ad agencies are dealing with anxiety at unprecedented rates. Um, Men and women who are incredibly successful in their careers are increasingly lonely. Everything looks great, but we are lonely, anxious, and struggling with meaningless. Now, I say that for two reasons. One, because that is tragic. But, church, you know what's even more tragic than that? Is when the temple of the Holy Spirit begins crawling back to the temple of Aphrodite. What's even more tragic than people who don't have the Holy Spirit is those who have the life of the Holy Spirit looking for it in the next great thing. Running away from what God wants to do in your life. Thinking that a new haircut or a new diet or a new car or a new, vocation, new, new vacation is going to satisfy you. Friends, we have life. The Spirit has brought you back to life. If you are in Christ, then you are a new creation. So friends, preach to the bones and call for the wind. Because the Spirit is alive, and he is renewing all things. Would you pray with me? Oh, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, would you so fill us that we uh, stop looking for life outside of you? And yes, of course, there are many good gifts that you give your children. And we are so grateful to live uh, at such a beautiful time, in such a beautiful place. And yet, we know if we scratch beneath the surface that uh, beneath the facade there is so much uh, hurt, loneliness. And so, God, I pray that you would renew us. Would you, Holy Spirit, move through Resurrection OC? If there is anyone here who has yet to experience the newness of life that you bring, Holy Spirit, would you help us now to call out and say, please make me new. Jesus, I need you in my life. God, for those of us who find ourselves running from you, whether in overt or subtle ways, would you help us to repent? Would you help us to simply say, Holy Spirit, I'm sorry. I'm running away from all that you promised to do in my life. And I'm discovering that there's no life anywhere else. God, would you renew us as a church And would you use our church, not terribly impressive on the outside, God. Would you fill us with your spirit that we might bring life to others in South Orange County. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.